Well, hey there, thanks for being here today. Welcome back to my YouTube channel. It's Simeon here with you again. Um, so I wanted to follow up on my previous video here on YouTube, if you haven't seen it. It's about why we perceive weird effects in crop circles like time distortions, time slips, cameras and batteries failing, and other sorts of luminous weirdness. Uh, we've seen these types of phenomena over and over again. I would encourage you to watch this video if you haven't seen it yet. But I wanted to go on to explain why I think this applies to just about all types of paranormal phenomena. And I know that's a tall order, but after thinking about it for about 25 years, no joke, um, I think this is what's really going on. And again, my baptism into this area, as many of you know, who you've been following this channel for a while, and thanks very much, I think we started in uh, 2009, so a number of years ago, we're almost going on 15 years here, pretty close. Um, I started with remote viewing, and so you get some of these strange effects even around remote viewing. Again, go back and look at Jim Schnabel's book, Remote Viewers, where he uh, documents the strange effects that were seen around Yuri Geller when he was being tested at Lawrence Livermore Labs and SRI in Palo Alto in the early 1970s. You know, the uh, strange cryptid, sometimes little UFOs and aports that would show up around Yuri when people were studying him. I think that's sort of an introduction to what we're talking about here. But my experience with it started in the crop circles, as I've documented on this channel many times, going over there in 1997, just really to see what, what they were about since I had done some RV work on crop circles. And, you know, seeing blurry photos uh, show up on your own camera, camcorders melting on the inside, solder joints. Uh, it's people describing strange experiences around crop circles, you know, just going over there. I wasn't sure if these were just sort of urban legends or if it was really happening, but it really was happening because uh, we experienced it with our own cameras and experiences around their orbs and those sorts of phenomena showing up around crop circles. And then the big... Uh, the big discovery was that this was happening even around ones that we made when we would go out and, for the most part, pay the farmer. Um, as I documented in Opening Minds, rent a field, uh, make circles, and then see some of the strange effects uh, that we would witness even on our own uh, cameras and other electronic equipment, and then later finding out that um, uh, this would happen around other known man-made formations. A perfect example being this math matrix formation that we made in uh, 2006 for Scott Flansburg, a project just to build a circle around a number type theme. Scott Flansburg being someone who was in the Guinness Book of World Records, we were able to add numbers in his head. And uh, we made it a sort of math-based crop circle over at Woodboro Hill, and we, we, we told everyone we know we had made this, we put up signs, uh, the farmer had been paid, everything. It was a project. And um, 
even that formation flying over it later, Ron Russell in a Microlight reported that my Olympus camera started acting strange. There were numbers and error messages in the little viewfinder, LCD viewfinder, viewfinder at the time. Uh, that didn't make any sense. He had to actually literally take out the batteries in the camera while he was flying over and put them back in to get it to work again. So this is what we've seen many times in crop circles, and I've documented that before. The real eye-opener to me, thinking about why this could occur in crop circles, is it also happens around cryptids, as I documented, in dark matter monsters. You know, people having time slip experiences around Bigfoot. Reportedly, this happens around cryptids, too. Uh, batteries, cameras failing, people's cars stalling. And the typical type of experience that people report in terms of time slips is that uh, they, they lose time and they be lose awareness and they wake up hours later realizing they don't realize exactly what happened. And it's not as if they feel hours have gone by. They just uh, lose awareness and then wake up so to speak, a number of hours later. And Carter Bouchard has documented this uh, phenomena in his books, uh, Sasquatch Evidence of an Enigma, which I encourage you to read. Uh, he documents some of these cases. And, and the people say that it isn't like they were just frozen there for a number of hours. It's just like the time went by. So if you look at these phenomena also happening around UFOs, I think we have to agree there's sort of a unified theory of paranormal phenomena here, which is that it has something to do with the structure of space-time being altered around certain types of materials. And I tweeted about this the other day, so I just want to explain to you what my thinking is about it, so we're all clear what's going on here. Also, in a response to my previous video about time slips and crop circles, one of our viewers asked if we've noticed our watches slowing down in uh, crop circles, which would be a f an effect of Einsteinian time dilation. And uh, I want to answer that question in a second so we can see exactly uh, why I think the effect is actually a little more complex than that, okay? So my tweet the other day was, is this an explanation for paranormal time slips? You get charge, clusters, exotic vacuum, objects, ball lightning, micro ball lightning, a.k.a. Ken Shoulders, Takiyaki Matsumoto, and others uh, who you can do research about. I've written about in Dark Matter Monsters, and, and you can find out more information about uh, micro ball lightning, ball lightning, and some of these exotic vacuum objects effects on the Martin Fleischmann Memorial Project channel, Bob Greenier, and others. Does. She does a great job in explaining this. So that leads to coherent matter and so-called Paul Dirackian magnetic monopoles. Magnets with only one pole, which Dirac postulated had to exist, at least in some state in the universe, he thought it was mandated by quantum mechanics. This leads to changes in permittivity, permittivity fluctuations and variable speeds of light, permittivity being the ability of materials to resist an electrical field, and insulators have higher permittivity, things like 
uh, rubber and plastic and glass and so forth versus lower permittivity materials, which would be metals and conductors, all the way down to superconductors. And again, this is seen in blurry and distorted UFO orb and Bigfoot photos. And I have to credit Tom DeLong here for picking up on this. Uh, a couple of years ago, he had a tweet which really got me thinking about this. And I think he's right. And I want to explain why here. He asked, maybe Bigfoot photos are blurry because Bigfoot is blurry. Ta-da! And so what this would lead to if you vary permittivity is changes in time and relativistic time dilation. And this means that we're going to have changes in speed of light, changes in the flow of time as permittivity changes. Now, the person that introduced me to that idea a number of years ago, uh, good old Dr. Hal Putoff at the combined IRVA SSE meetings in Las Vegas in 2018. Hal gave us this tremendous presentation, and I made a video about it, which you can watch, uh, about blue shifts, about why UFOs often look to have different colors than other objects around them, specifically why they're blue shifted. And Hal, who admitted to us that he had been the science director in good old OSAP ATIP, whatever the relationship of those programs is and was, pick your flavor of the week, uh, Hal told us that ATIP was just another name for OSAP. There are some debate about this, but no matter. Hal said that he had been involved with UFO programs for the government, uh, going back quite a ways, hinting before OSAP and so forth. And he told us uh, point blank that the government has been involved with UFO uh, experiment studies since Project Blue Book. And... Um, that what they had realized was that some of these UFO materials, he specifically mentioned the bismuth magnesium nanomaterials, metamaterials that may have come from the Roswell crash. He showed us photos of these layered materials. And he said that the OSAP folks had come to the conclusion that this complex nanomaterial was actually changing permittivity of free space. If you know anything about physics, and you can just look at this little equation here, the speed of light is based on one over square root of permittivity, the electrical, dielectric constant, as it's called, ability for materials to resist electric fields, times permeability, the magnetic constant of free space, which are normally just set to one, um, that the speed of light would change if you changed permittivity or permeability. Now, throughout modern times, we've just assumed that these are basically fixed in free space, right? And what Hal was talking to us about is the idea that whoever made these uh, metamaterials, possibly extraterrestrial, that if you had technology that could vary the permittivity of space, you would change the speed of light in your particular frame of reference, which would make UFOs perhaps seem to move faster and blue shifted in appearance 
than ordinary objects that we see around us. And this would suggest a variable speed of light that would actually change the density of space, this technology in and around it, and uh, provide its sort of own propulsion system just literally on bending space-time, and, and Hal called it space-time metric engineering. And so this is a very interesting sort of idea, I think you'll have to admit, that the, that the technology of UFOs is actually literally to bend space-time to create variations in permittivity. And Hal suggested that this is why some UFOs look blue-shifted. Now, if you remember a few years ago, I interviewed Gary Sterling, who was a security missile security guard at Minot Air Force Base and told us about seeing with his colleague in the security alert team truck, their Jeep, uh, that it, uh, they saw an object take off near a missile silo near Velvin, North Dakota in 19, I think it was 1973. And this object looked really blue. This is what he says. And it was so bright, he couldn't even discern a shape. So this is consistent with what Hal told us. Now, this idea that you're going to have complex permittivity in anomalous condensed matter physics, processes, objects, ball lightning, is exactly the argument made by... Uh, Shak Paranov in Ball Lightning in the Laboratory, published by Avramenko, Moscow, 1994. Shak Paranov, in his article using undirected paths and generation of ball lightning in the laboratory, says that this is exactly why it's hard to take pictures of ball lightning, micro ball lightning, and cold fusion experiments. He says that when they took photos of their own cold fusion experiments, they were blurry. And they're blurry because the permittivity is fluctuating exactly like Ken Shoulders speculated here, is that the permittivity is fluctuating positive, negative, positive, negative. It's not constant. It's moving around. It's complex permittivity. And they've seen this in the laboratory. And when they attempt to take pictures of cold fusion experiments, the photos look blurry. Sound familiar? Now, if you want to see this for yourself, I encourage you to look at this video from the Martin Fleischmann Memorial Project and Bob Greener called the Shakparanov Generator Replication of Hutchinson and Lenner Effects in the 1980s. What's important here is that once you're changing the speed of light, you're changing the flow of time and the flow of space. And if you could modify this in a more complex way, you'd actually have the ability to manipulate space and time. So what I'm suggesting to you here is that this permittivity shifting uh, is not just related to UFOs, that if biological organisms could do this too through some mechanism of creating uh, charge clusters, strong electrons, exotic vacuum objects, as Ken Shoulders caused them, you would have life forms that could manipulate space and time. And this could be one reason why people experience these space-time distortions around Bigfoot and other cryptids, and why these cryptids and other types of life that are very uh, hard for us to understand could actually cause your car to stall. Because normally it doesn't happen when you just go visit the zoo. You don't have any of those 
ordinary mammals and animals uh, affecting your wristwatch, I mean, in my experience, right? But this is what we do experience around cryptids and Bigfoot and uh, around UFO sightings. So uh, it turns out that one of Hal's colleagues, Ken Shoulders, who we mentioned above, spent a lot of time talking about these permittivity transitions, as he called them, around exotic vacuum objects, charge clusters, magnetic monopoles, and so forth. And this is in his uh, sort of uh, unpublished paper, his monograph, that's called Permittivity Transitions. I encourage you to look it up online. It's available um, on different sites. And you can just download it. And this is what's really interesting, what Ken talks about. He talks about these charge clusters, exotic vacuum objects, having multiple states, not just uh, visible states, but black states too. Invisible states or really dark states. Uh, he calls them black EVs. And this is all having to do with variations in permittivity. So you can see that permittivity is sort of a gateway to a whole range of phenomena including uh, variations in space-time, variations in time itself. Uh, Shoulders, in his article here, talks about some of the strange phenomena that uh, you would see around greatly reduced levels of permittivity, which we see around charge clusters, exotic vacuum objects, and what many researchers believe is really the source of ball lightning, or even microball lightning, which would we would see in cold fusion, low energy nuclear reaction experiments. And so what Shoulders argues here is that these charge clusters can exist in their own reality because their permittivity is so much lower. They're superconducting. They're creating magnetic monopoles leading to superconductivity. And uh, when you have these exotic vacuum objects, you get superfluidity, superconductivity, and sort of a shielding effect where these charge clusters, ball lightnings, or black EVs, as he calls them, exist in their own reality. They don't quite couple into our reality, which is why they can look kind of strange, uh, kind of blurry, and kind of distorted. And he has a lot of examples from the lab where you see these charge clusters moving in strange ways going from visible to invisible states, making, hello, right angle turns at the spur of the moment. And let's just take a look at some of the, the effects that he talks about here, which I think you're gonna see sound a lot like the types of phenomena that we look at here on this channel. Existence of these exotic vacuum objects that loop between a light and a dark state, he argues can create uh, charges and field generation outside the electrical loop. In other words, it would seem to create very exotic magnetic and electric charges even away from the object itself. Um, and this is something that you would not be able to detect with ordinary equipment, but you would notice the electronic effects at a distance from these objects due to something called vector potential which is also the basis of the so-called Aronhoff-Bohm effect in quantum mechanics, spooky action at a distance, where even a total lack of magnetic charge can affect a particle's magnetic state 
uh, even though if you had any instruments you and I could measure it, there'd be no magnetism there. It still exerts an effect because it's in the vector potential. These exotic vacuum objects can create what he calls complex entanglement. And um, they can create quantum effects that uh, are really uh, quite exotic. In other words, these charge clusters moving through one material like glass only to leave pits and strike marks in another material a little farther away. They can start unraveling in these sort of spiral forms. We can just imagine what sort of permittivity that would create. And then here we go with some of these effects, which are really, to me, so similar to what we call paranormal phenomena. One of the things not mentioned that he says is the likelihood of forming totally black organizations with ghostly properties being able to operate without our, our being able to see them in any presently available way. Ghostly organizations, black organizations with ghostly properties. What he's talking about here is invisible matter, folks. He's talking about matter that you can't see. It's not coupled into our reality in an ordinary way because the primitivity is so much lower than the other materials, like magnitudes or uh, different than the slight changes we have in materials around us, okay? And he says you won't be able to see it. Or it's going to look totally black, like a black hole. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like, to me, that object that those DIA researchers saw at Skinwalker Ranch, which is documented in Lekatsky et al.'s book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, where they see this black object hovering over a path, and the closer they get to it, the stranger they feel. Even in some cases where they would try to approach these objects and they just felt like it was just too strange and too, too scary and they just had to back up. That sounds to me like a black organization, a black dark Eva. Then there are these other effects. He talks about energy production, which we've referred to in the past called fusion. Uh, even though it's not literally a type of fusion, it's a type of charge clustering, very dense charge clustering, low energy nuclear reaction. But the interesting thing he says about that is that this is just a side effect of these charge clusters and magnetic monopoles. It's not even necessarily the most interesting effect is producing all this energy from, uh, from the charge clusters transmuting matter and so forth. Uh, then he goes on to talk about what I think is really the gold here. Time modification. Yes. Just from getting charge separation to producing charge clusters, exotic vacuum objects, which uh, researchers say is like 40 times stronger than any gravitational effect from the electromagnetic force. It is binding. When you put particles together, they start clustering and clustering and clustering. They become of the same frequency, um, like a Bose-Einstein condensate, but at room temperature, um, that, uh, you begin to get lower and lower permittivity, which leads to time modification. And he even says here, in an area around these exotic vacuum objects, you expect other physical constants to follow and time to proceed at an increased rate according to an increased light velocity, okay? So charge clusters lead to changes in the speed of light. Now, this is something that Albert Einstein already proposed a long time ago. He had already won his Nobel Prize 
Uh, he discovered quantum mechanics along with uh, Max Planck and others. He wins his Nobel Prize eventually, 1921. He was already known for general relativity theory and previously for special relativity theory. He, it, he creates this idea of the variable speed of light, and you can read about it in this book by Alexander Unzicker, a German physicist who talks about uh, Einstein's greatest idea of variable speed of light. So this idea is already being proposed about 100 years ago, but it was a forgotten idea. And here we have Ken Shoulders bringing it up again in relationship to condensed matter types of physics. And I think what we can see is once you get this sort of condensed matter, you're going to get ghostly properties, black organizations, space-time slips, and so forth. I mean, this is literally what Ken Shoulders is telling us here, is that this leads to these time slips. And then he says you could create new devices around this. And he said operation of such systems would be as ghostly as it gets. They're going to transition data from a normal level of primitivity, but then they operate at a much higher level of primitivity, which means they're sort of operating in their state and we're operating on our state. And I think this is exactly what we're seeing around life forms that have the ability to disappear before our eyes. There are many reports, and this has been documented in Dave Pilates' uh, movie, 411, Missing the Hunted, where he talks about life forms that seem to have a transparency to them, where they look like saran wrap moving through the forest. People have seen this with Bigfoot quite often, uh, where they either see something that's transparent transition into being a Bigfoot or Bigfoot transition into being something as it moves that looks like saran wrap. And then all variations in between. And the, to me, the simplest way of understanding that is saying that this is literally an extension of what Ken Shoulders is talking about. It's a permittivity fluctuation, but I don't think it's a linear permittivity fluctuation. And this goes back to the question that uh, someone asked me on the previous video about crop circles creating time slips. It's not just a linear transition which would produce your watches speeding up or slowing down after you had visited a crop circle. I think these permittivity transitions are so complex, we could describe them as complex permittivity transitions or probably more accurately fractal permittivity transitions because it's the researchers from the Soviet era in the Soviet Union, uh, Zverbalis Nevesky, who we've talked about in previous videos and uh, we found out about from Martin Fleisch Memorial Project channel and Bob Greener, who told us that in classified Soviet experiments to produce lab-produced ball lightning, artificial ball lightning in a lab, and devices that could produce these charge cluster anomalies even after you turned off the equipment. That what was the basis for it at the end of the day? They said it was based on fractal geometry patterns, windings, super tours, as they called it, toroidal shapes 
within toroidal shapes, rings within rings within rings, that they said was based on the Coke snowflake fractal pattern, which happens to be the shape that I did my doctoral dissertation on in sociology a number of decades ago in how information can be compressed and changed and flattened by speed and technology. So it tur- And this Coke snowflake also turns out to be the first drop circle that I saw when I went over to England in 1997 by Silbury Hill. And here Nevesky and Zverbalis tell us that this Coke snowflake fractal shape is actually at the basis of creating closed Maxwellian pointing vectors of electricity and magnetism that just collapse in on themselves. These objects, they called them electromagnetic phantoms. Does that sound like Ken Shoulders here talking about ghostly properties of black organizations? I think so. I think it's the exact same effect, is once you create matter based on a fractal, rings within rings, you know, fractal being no lines there, no definitive scale, scale invariant, that the closer you look, the more detail you see, or as you zoom out, you see more detail too. And this applies to objects in time too. Uh, like your heart, which has a fractal rhythm, so it can be responsive to the environment. Uh, Nevesky and Zverbalist told us that this fractal pattern was the basis of creating luminous objects that would exist even after you turned off uh, the equipment. The glow would stay there for a couple days at a time. And other researchers have said that you'd get that glow for days. So... What we're looking at here are simply that when you create structures, perhaps with fractal shapes, you're going to get fractal permittivity, or perhaps to put it more simply, fractal time dilation. So to answer the question from uh, our viewer the other day for my video, it's not just that you're going to get time speeding up or speeding down on your watch. You're literally going to get the watch collapsing is what we've seen many times or your object, uh, your electronic objects failing because the permittivity now has a fractal pattern to it versus the linear permittivity that we're used to in ordinary technology. And it would create a type of fractal time dilation, which would be very complex. And you're probably your mind really, your brain wouldn't do a good job of understanding this. So this is what I actually think is going on, is we have a type of fractal time dilation from fractal primitivity transitions. And I think if you take a look at Ken Shoulder's work, you will see that this is what he's saying, is that uh, you can get a whole variety of very strange electronic objects that he even goes as far as saying could apply to organisms. And I think those organisms are what we call Bigfoot and cryptids and so forth, since they're known to move around, slip through time. Some of these descriptions of Dogman and Bigfoot, if you've read the literature, are these creatures literally hopping from point from here to there to there without going through the intervening space. And I think that's an example of fractal permittivity transitions is they're not moving in a linear line. They are moving in sort of a hopping motion around the space that you're in because of this change in permittivity. 
And there's one more aspect of it, which I think is really interesting, which is going to give you a little food for thought here, is Shoulders goes on to say that when you lower the permittivity of objects, you get mass reduction. You get changes in gravitational uh, constants. Uh, not least among them would be a local increase in the velocity of light and a reduction in the gravitational constant. In other words, some sort of anti-gravity effect. Now, how many times when you've read the literature about Bigfoot encryptids, are they described as floating over the forest, floating over the trails, moving in ways that seem just beyond imagination in terms of speed? And we're not just talking about muscle strength. We know that Bigfoot can have legs that look as thick as tree trunks. But I think we're dealing with more than muscular strength here. I think we're talking about another type of space time, and it would totally fit with what Ken Shoulders is talking about. Because as you get these changes in permittivity, you're going to have uh, lower gravitational constants, perhaps giving Bigfoot, just like Shoulders is saying, they're almost like in a different reality. They don't quite couple into our reality in a direct way. And I'm not saying this applies to all Bigfoot uh, sightings, encounters, some of them do seem just very solid flesh and blood. But you have these other accounts where people attempted to move over the areas where they saw the Bigfoot and they just seem like they're moving so quickly. Uh, they can't even imagine how you could move in an area where there's stumps and boulders and so forth. Not to mention the Bigfoot seemingly be able to disappear or tr transform themselves into boulders or tree stumps and so forth. So I think this is what we're dealing with, and I think this is the big answer to why we get all these strange phenomena around what we call paranormal types of events, uh, be, be they crop circles or UFOs where people experience similar uh, things, or their experiences around cryptids or ghosts or haunted sites. These are all examples of complex permittivity fluctuations with fractal characteristics which is going to lead to a fractal space-time structure, which to our sort of linear sense of time is going to seem extremely strange. So anyway, that was kind of a long-winded answer to this question the other day, but thanks for watching. Feel free to put your comments or ideas in the box below, and we'll see you in the next video. Take care for now and bye.